Welcome to Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 54 with Alias V. Alias V is an Arena Mythic Championship commentator, Twitch partner, YouTuber, and self-professed crazy cat lady. She's amazing, and you can find her streaming highly entertaining games of magic and her cats at twitch.tv slash alias V. We talked about her origin story, growing up in South Africa and then moving to Canada. We also get into how Alias V began her streaming career and some of the lessons and perspectives she's picked up along the way. Alias V is absolutely crushing it right now, and I'm excited to bring her story to you. Before we begin, let's give a shout out to our sponsors. Music in this episode is brought to you by Kupla. Kupla is an amazing artist, and his music has become part of my everyday listening rotation. Check him out on all the places you find music, including SoundCloud and Spotify. Humans of Magic is sponsored by ChannelFireball.com. ChannelFireball is the place to go for all of your magic needs, with a huge selection of sealed product, singles, accessories, and more. And if you want to level up your magic game, there is a ton of great strategy content on the CFB site. Check it out today. Humans and Magic is also sponsored by Cardboard Live. Cardboard Live transforms the way you interact with magic broadcasts, complete with player decklists, real-time standings, metagame analysis, and more. If you're a streamer and you're streaming magic, then you're going to love using Cardboard Live. It works for Magic Arena, Magic Online, and even your local paper tournament. It's super easy to use and completely free. To get started, visit cardboard.live. Last but not least, I've got an exciting project on the way. I am working on the Humans of Magic book, which is a collection of interviews with the finest magic personalities on the planet. Think of it as an extension and greatest hits version of this podcast. The book features the greatest minds in the game today. John Finko, Paulo Vitor Damo de Rosa, Jerry Thompson, Louis Scott Vargas, Emma Handy, and many other brilliant minds. If you're a fan of this show, then you're going to love the book. As a thank you to listeners, I'm giving away free copies of the upcoming book. To enter the prize draw, visit the Humans of Magic website at humansofmagic.com. Head over there, join the mailing list, and you will be entered into the draw. Once again, that's humansofmagic.com. The Humans of Magic book is coming soon. Don't miss it. All right, let's get into it. This is Humans of Magic with Alias V. everybody today i am here with the amazing talented dedicated hardworking streamer of magic alias v alias v how are you i'm doing well thank you after that intro i'm not sure i deserve it but <laughs> thank you very much that's super kind you definitely deserve it and just talking to you right now literally talking to you right now makes me feel very inspired because we're recording this remotely and I know it's super early in the day for you, and so you willing to do this is just a sign of how dedicated you are. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's either dedication or um, insanity. I'm not sure which, but 
<laughs> Certainly very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. And uh, I know that recently there was the M20 stuff and you were one of the, the feature preview streamers. How did things go with that? Uh, yeah, the uh, preview events are always a lot of fun. Um, thanks to Wizards who invite a whole bunch of us uh, give us fully loaded accounts. They say, go crazy. Literally like 300,000 gems at our disposal. It's so great. It's like, oh, I'm going to buy everything. Not that we need it because, you know, they're fully loaded accounts. But yeah, it's just, it's it's really fun to play the cards and not have to worry about, oh, am I spending my resources, i.e. wild cards, to make this deck? No, no, I'm not. It's great. So good time to play with like viewer decks and that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're doing that part right. It sounds like, you know, you guys are able to fully unleash your creativity, right? Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, not having any limitations in terms of costs, etc. for those, what is it, about 48 hours, roughly. Yeah, that's awesome. You strike me as a very knowledgeable magic player, and this comes across in your, your regular streams and your commentary. But I was really surprised to know that you've only been playing the game for just over a year. So... Right off the bat, I wanted to ask you, how did you pick up the game's strategies and nuances so quickly? Twitch chat, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, I started playing uh, Magic. Um, Michelle from Wizards invited me to try out the closed beta. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, hey, Twitch chat, help me out here because I, I don't understand this game. So I had one of my moderators jump into a Discord call with me and try and talk me through. I think it was a black-red, yeah, a red-black pirates deck with a Lannery Storm and the fanatical firebrand who I've dubbed Frank. Um, and yeah, they were just trying to tell me like, okay, this is what happens. This is how the phases work. This is how the stack works. So it was very much trial and error to start with. And then uh, when I got a little bit of a hang of it, then I reached out to a few of my uh, fellow streamer friends and I was like, okay, please teach me what to do here because I'm completely lost. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> that makes total sense. So it sounds like you sort of just asked the community for some advice or guidance, right? Yeah, because like growing up, I can't recall ever encountering magic. You know, it was all Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z or what was the other thing? Digimon. So like... All of the collectible card game things that were being played, I don't think there was a magic card in sight. So I, it wasn't like I had a friend who knew magic. And even as someone who's been exposed to magic for a little bit longer than you have, it always strikes me as crazy how much of a subculture it is. Like you just unexpectedly find people who have played magic and they <laughs> most of the time they hide it really well. So it's like, I'll just talk to a colleague <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, I know magic. I played that when I was... X years old and something like that. And it's just crazy how much of intersection magic has with just gaming or gamers, right? Well, it's quite funny now because I have a Magic the Gathering tattoo on my arm now. So that's a good way to spot magic people. That is super hardcore, yeah. So just get a tattoo. It's easy. <laughs> that That is something I might have to do after, after we finish this conversation. <laughs> yeah, just hit up your local tattoo artist at what? It's quite late there for you, right? <laughs> That's right. So, Alias V, I wanted to kind of start off from the beginning and get a sense to know the, the person behind, the, the personality. The very first thing that I thought about was that, you know, you are really part of the, I don't want to say like new generation, but it's like, I'm actually talking to someone right now who is known by their handle as opposed to their real name. That is like very esports like and that's not something that 
even though LSV has an acronym or someone else has a, a nickname, it's not quite the same. So I wanted to ask you, how exactly did the name Alias V come about? <laughs> well, fun fact, uh, everyone always thinks when Day9 says my name, it's Alias V, like, oh, LSV? No, it's it's not. I'm sorry to let you down there, friends. Um, but <laughs> yeah, truth be told, I didn't know who LSV was when I started streaming and came up with my name. So sorry, friends. <laughs> um, yeah, so my name is Ailey. Um, my sister called me Alias when I was a kid. And when I was thinking of names, you know, I would come up with these convoluted ones. And I was like, oh, they all suck. So let me just think of something simple. What? Who's called me what in the past besides getting my name horribly wrong because it's spelt like it's not said, right? Um, so, yeah, it was just, okay, alias. But then Twitch being Twitch, you can never just have a simple name because they're all taken. So it's like, all right, let me put something on the end here. Now, initially, I was Alias V on Twitch because Alias V wasn't available. And everyone thought I was Alias Von Twitch, you know, like some, I don't know, Eastern European <laughs> Twitch streamer. Elias Von Twitch. Yeah, everyone calls me Elias too, which is wrong. Uh, so if you ever if you ever want to get my name right, it's just Alias or Ailey. It's, it's totally fine. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's where the name comes from. What, what does the V mean? Like, does it have any kind of significance at all? Uh, it's a five. So, uh five is you know the number of people in my family the month of my birth you know so it's just a, it's a significant number i suppose where did you grow up where what part of the world are you from i'm from south africa a lot of people think i'm from england or australia or new zealand uh, because my accent has shifted slightly uh, since i've been living in canada because uh, people couldn't understand me when i arrived uh, i speak I used to speak quite quickly and not very clearly. And that's one of the things I've tried to improve, you know, as a streamer, because I have an international audience. Like I've, I, I check on one of those silly little extensions, like, oh, where's everybody from? And, you know, it's never just one place being the bulk of my audience. It's all over. So the clearer I speak, the more I'm understood, hopefully. <laughs> no, you speak very clearly. I had no idea. I have to go back and watch maybe some of the the videos maybe from before where you had a maybe a slightly different intonation or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just go check like my very, very first clips on Twitch and you'll see I sound quite different. <laughs> and so tell me a little bit more about the part of the world, Sorry, South I Africa. Have to, I have to reprimand a kitten quickly. Hang on. No, get off. off. Sorry, she has a habit of jumping onto things she shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Including while you're streaming, I'm sure, because I'm sure. Oh, yes. Know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The cats are half the reason my my subs subscribe, I'm sure. It's just like, yes, cat. Cool. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, more specifically about the part of the world you're from in South Africa. Like what, what, what was it like growing up in your city or your town? Like give me a bit of a, give me a bit of commentary on that. Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from Johannesburg, uh, which is, I still think it's the most densely populated a city in South Africa. So, you know, let's put all the people in one spot and the rest of the country who needs to go live there, right? Um, so I was a very busy child. Um, I played a lot of sports. So, you know, it would always be like running around, riding bikes and stuff. Now, it, South Africa does have a, it's a little bit notorious in terms of its crime rates. Uh, if you do a quick Google, you'll see. Um, so, you know, it got to the point where, okay, it's maybe not safe to stay out after this certain time at night and um <clears throat> so 
you know, the the running around riding bikes and going to the park and whatnot. That that changed pretty quick, you know, as we got older. It's like, no, it's safer. Stay inside, play video games. Okay, well, I can do that. So video games was something that you were into? Was it just you or was it your siblings as well? Um, My sisters didn't really care too much for... Uh, I called them TV games. I don't honestly even know what that console was. It was like a... I think it was a Nintendo 64 ripoff, to be honest. Um, But, you know, we'd play games like Arkanoid and Super Mario and the circus game. Uh, what other ones did we play? Hmm, I'm trying to think now. My brain's not working. But, yeah, so from, from that little TV game station, um, I moved on to like PlayStation 1 which my friend had and we'd play Crash Bandicoot you know every day after school and like that's probably one of my favorite games just because you know fond memories cool school's done let's go play Crash Bandicoot um PC gaming I didn't get into until much later I think the first PC game I played was The Sims you know it's always fun to control little uh, electronic people and make their lives a living hell um and then yeah, when I moved to Canada, I got my first proper PC and started playing PC games there. Tell me a little bit about your parents. Like, what did they do and what were they like? Uh, so my parents are great. Um, they are very supportive of all the crazy things I do. Um, I remember when I <laughs> when I told my parents in high school I would like to go and study film, um, my dad was like, yeah, sure, go for it. My mom was a little hesitant at first, but uh, she soon came around. Um, and I think since then they've realized I'm a little bit different when it comes to, you know, life choices and decisions and career paths and things I want to do, like the streaming thing. Uh, I actually didn't tell them, uh, for about a year that I was streaming. What kind of things did your parents want you to do initially? I mean, it sounded like they had some, some minor reaction to you wanting to do something in the film industry. What was the model thing, whatever that was? The model thing? What were they hoping that you would get into? As oh, what were they to... hoping? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I was one of those annoying kids who was the definition of try hard. Um, I could ace most tests. Yeah. So like I'd study my ass off. I would try and get involved in everything. So I was like, you know sports woman of the year and best all-rounder and seven distinctions and whatnot so i had too many options i think and none of them interested me i always said to myself if i end up behind a desk doing the same boring thing every single day i'm going to be a miserable human being so i didn't want to be a doctor or an engineer or a you know i didn't want to do that once i was done with matric i didn't want to study I didn't want to do theory stuff. I wanted to do practical. I wanted to get in there, get my hands dirty, and create something. So that's where the film uh, industry appealed, you know. So it's like, cool, I'll go on set, make movies, um, you know, learn how to use cameras and editing software and that type of thing. So that appealed to me far more than any of the theoretical stuff did. And, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for it. I, I enjoyed my time in, in film school. Were there certain films that you watched growing up that were somehow inspiring and wanted led you to kind of explore that field in terms of just specific films or directors or styles? Not 
not specifically. I think I had the idea in my mind that initially that I was going to be rich and famous because I wanted to I wanted to be an actress, right? I was like, yes, I'll perform because that's something I really enjoy doing. And anyone who's watched my streams will see me throw on some accents and silly voices. <laughs> yes. And, you know, fake cry when I don't draw my land for the sixth turn in a row. Um, so initially I thought it would be a bit more of, of that, you know, the glitz and the glam and, oh, cool, I'm going to be famous. No, not really. That's not how it works. If you want to make money in the film industry, at least consistently, you got to be behind the camera. <laughs> yes. Yes. Be behind the camera, control the work, <clears throat> know how to find investors and, you know, network like it's nobody's business and just, yeah, get in with the right people who are doing cool things and then you're golden. Like in terms of uh, films and directors, um, I think Christopher Nolan's probably one of my favorites. Uh, Darren Aronofsky as well. And so just seeing the, the work that they've done uh, or they did you know, prior to deciding, okay, I want to go to film school. I think uh, that, that pretty much put me, put me in the right path there. Got it. And tell me about what it was like to go to film school. Like what was that experience like for you? It was hectic. <laughs> um, yes, because you know those 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 limitations. They they sometimes say like, "Hey, don't go over twelve hour days." Yeah, we didn't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a case of we need to get this done, so we're gonna go eighteen hours, and then because of how the system was set up and the different groups and things, you go straight into post production for twelve hours after that. So uh, yeah, there was many times we ended up sleeping in very strange places, eating dodgy food, traveling into the middle of nowhere, attempting not to get hijacked. That actually happened on my third year film. Oh, oh really? What, what happened there? Uh, we were driving back from a location in the middle of nowhere, and it's very obvious when you have film gear in student cars. So, uh, she, yeah, she almost got hijacked. She did some evasive maneuvering, though, and broke a few things, but the gear was safe. So <laughs> That's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. And about your siblings, sorry, I'm kind of jumping randomly no, across the place, but what kind of stuff were they into and what did they end up doing in terms of professions? Um, so my middle sister, uh, she was very much the social sibling, I'd say. She has a very big group of friends, um, you know, that she made in high school and that she's kept now, however many years later, I won't give her age away. <laughs> um, but she was a beauty therapist so she would do hair makeup um you know uh, just that kind of stuff so i was i was her te her test dummy for a lot of things i remember being what 10 years old and one of her courses uh, involved prosthetics so she made me look like an imp like put a bald cap on me with massive warts and stuff <laughs> oh gosh so. yeah yeah so it was fun um but yeah she's she she's really good at making people beautiful and uh, now she's moved countries, so her career's changed a little bit. But yeah, she's she's very much a beautifier. And then yeah, and then my uh, my other sister, my elder sibling, um, she was the I'll say the nerd, but she went and did the uh, theoretical degree. You know, she became an optometrist and then moved overseas as well, and then met her husband and started a family so now she is a home executive <laughs> oh that's that's a nice title i like it <laughs> yeah so she gets to look after my nephews and they're adorable so yeah 
it's a little bit difficult, you know, when everyone's all over the world. But I suppose that's the beauty of uh, technology these days. You can always see each other when you want to. What about your folks? Are they still in South Africa? Yes, they are. I'm trying to convince them to move uh, to where my sisters are. But uh, they're just like, oh, no, it's too hard. So I'm like, do it. Just start it. Try. Come on. <laughs> Is Canada an option for them? Because I actually don't know how long you've been in Canada for. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so I've been in Canada two years, roughly. I can't remember. And maths is hard at 6 a.m. Um, yeah, so I've been here for a couple of years. Uh, Canada would be an option for them if they so choose. But you know how parents are. They're quite set in their ways. At least mine are. <laughs> oh, I think most people's parents are. Yeah. At the risk of jumping ahead a little bit too much, how did you find yourself moving to Canada? What was the what was the driver or the perhaps series of events that led to that? Um, so through my film school, uh, we were invited to attend the Toronto International Film Festival in like 2013 or so. Uh, so I got an all expenses paid trip to Toronto and it was awesome. Got to meet a whole bunch of people in the industry and made some new friends. And I was just blown away by how a first world country worked. It's like you step into the street and the car stops. It's not going to ride you over. You know, you don't have to be super paranoid all the time. And, you know, it was just a sense of things work here and it's safe comparatively. I know a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, you went to this part of Canada? I'm like, yeah, it's totally fine. Because they, they, they don't understand what the, uh, you know, the, the, the everyday worries are living in johannesburg for example it's all relative right yeah it's all relative like you know we we felt relatively safe where we were you know you've got all your security measures and stuff like that but then when we see some of the measures that had to be taken because people get breaking into our complex it's like why i don't want to live like i'm in a prison anymore so i think that was partly one of the reasons um but you know not not the only thing. Uh, being in the film industry, um, <clears throat> it's also, you know, better for my career to be in a bigger pond, you know, swimming around, making connections, working on big feature films and TV series, uh, because the South African industry is very small. It's still growing. Uh, it's doing well, but it's nowhere near as big as the Canadian one. So uh, that was the predominant reason i'd say was you know my career trying to further it getting with the big companies working on you know the blockbuster films that type of thing so yeah that's why got it are you able to share without too much specifics about like what your role is working on those films or yeah for sure uh so i can't say which films due to non-disclosure agreements those lovely things everyone makes a sign um but yeah, I'm in post-production, so I'm a, I'm a video editor. Uh, so like my previous roles have been assembling a feature film and then handing it off to the, you know, the, the, the editor, the, the online editor. So I would do the offline, hand it off to do the online. Um, and, you know, I'd work on other stuff like commercials or documentaries or live events. So basically, whatever there's a camera pointed at, I can edit. <laughs> that is pretty impressive and amazing. It sounds like you probably have to go through a lot of training and you probably just picked up a ton of experience along the way, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think um, most of the experience I've gained has been after uh, college. 
because what they teach you isn't often how things are. It's like, oh, but I learned how to do it this way. No one does it that way anymore. Here, do this. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, definitely. I think that applies to a lot of industries. You learn very quickly the realities versus the theory, I, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Tell me a little bit about how you got into streaming. So I started streaming because of my human. So for those of you who, who don't know me, my human is my husband. And I never liked the phrases boyfriend, fiance, or husband. So I just have the catch-all of human. Um, he initially had the idea of wanting to start streaming. We've discovered Twitch through gaming friends of ours. Um, you know, they were on our fire team in Destiny and they were like, hey, go watch this streamer. And we're like, what now? On Twitch? <laughs> Where now? What, we all have to start this? somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we go, we go watch this guy and I'm like, what the hell is this? Why do I want to watch a person playing video games? I want to play the video games. And then, you know, it's, it's the whole thing. Like, oh, don't watch someone play sport. Go play the sport. Be quiet. Um, <laughs> so we just we discovered Twitch, and um, eventually we discovered streamers like Co Carnage, uh, King Gathalian, Professor Broman, and we just you know we became big fans of them and their streaming and their style and that type of thing. And when we moved here, we got good internet because the internet in South Africa is shit. Excuse my French, but it is. It's terrible. So that, that wasn't even a consideration in, in South Africa because we wouldn't been able to have held a stable stream. So when we got here and we saw the glorious interwebs that was available in Canada, we were like, hmm, imagine all the things we could do. One of the things my human wanted to do was try streaming. So we got his PC, uh, got him set up and everything, got the camera, got the lights, got the green screen. He tried it a few times and he didn't take to it that well you know it was a few streams here and there and it was just like nah i'm good so i started playing gwent on ps4 now that's got a built-in uh, streaming thing and i was like okay well i've seen my human do it let me try it so i started streaming gwent on my playstation 4 and i actually quite enjoyed it it was like hey i had 12 people randomly watching me play cards on the internet that's not bad. And I kept kept doing it and more people showed up and people kept coming back. And I was like, this is actually pretty cool. And then I, I, I broached the topic very carefully because my human uh, is quite precious about his 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 baby being his PC. And it's beautiful. So I would be I would have said no to me. Honestly, I was like, baby, can I use your PC to stream? <laughs> <laughs> I probably didn't say it like that, but the implication was there. And he was like, fine. So he set me up with a profile and everything. And I started streaming Gwent. Um, I think my first official like face cam stream as Alias was around the 15th of August, 2017. So coming up on two years almost. Oof. And uh, yeah, from there, it just kind of snowballed. And I just, I loved it. It was great. Just sitting there talking to no one initially and then getting people coming in and you know, judging all my misplays. It's great. What was it like for you in the early days as a streamer streaming Gwent compared to now? Because you must have picked up a lot of, I know this is a very broad question, but if you look back to when you first started streaming for a dozen people, how would you compare and contrast your mannerisms or framework then versus now? Well, when I started initially, I, um, 
I think everyone has the what do, you, what do you want to call it? Like you're very nervous when you start streaming and you don't know when to talk or when to shut up. And I think, I think that's a skill that most streamers have to learn is like when to talk, when to shut up. Um, but yeah, I just remember being very unsure of myself and not wanting to interact with chat too much. Like, but I would always love it when someone says hi in chat because then I can start a conversation. I'd be like, hi, how are you? Where are you from? Which faction do you like? What cards are your favorite? You know, um, so it's, it was a little awkward at first because, you know, you don't always have people watching you when you start streaming. And, and uh, that's like the first hurdle to get over is, you know, just keep talking because someone's going to come into your stream and they're going to see you or hear you, or if they don't hear you, and you're just sitting there looking all bored, no one's going to hang out. No one's going to say hi or be interested. Um, so, yeah, it was just a just a trying to keep talking, keep making the show as entertaining as possible, pretending as if you have this audience of 500 people where in reality you only have five. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I've gotten more confident, um, less prone to being trolled now. <laughs> And uh, yeah, just like in what sense do you mean? Do you mean when people troll you, understand that it's a it's a joke or it's a troll, or you know how to respond? In oh yeah, ways? because initially I had no idea what like kappa meant, for example, right? Mm. <laughs> I just kind of went in blind. I was like, yeah, cool. And then people would spam these emotes at me, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. I should go and Google and find out what this means. Uh, so yeah, it's all just knowledge that you gain you know, interacting with Twitch chat and learning how to set up filters and auto moderation is also a very important thing because, yeah, you'll get people with uh, inappropriate names or let's say inappropriate things. And it's just like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't yeah. get too much of that anymore, though. So thank you, Mod Squad. <laughs> Even though in the beginning it was perhaps awkward, like you said, you don't know when to talk and when not to talk. What was it about that whole experience that even though you you knew that you were not 100% polished because nobody is at the at the beginning what made you want to continue and you know ask your your human for the pc access and all of that stuff like what was it within you that really motivated you to keep going i like seeing things grow i like starting something and seeing where it goes Especially if it's something I enjoy. Now, I enjoy card games. I enjoy interacting with people. I enjoy putting on a show. So those aspects were covered already. But I think the thing that kept me going was, okay, let's see how many people I can get today. Let's see how many hours I can stream for today. Which is not a good thing, um, I will say. Because the one area that I struggle in a lot is focusing too much on the numbers. So it's cool in the beginning. It's like, hey, cool, I had you know, a new record of 20 people watching me today or eventually 200 people watching me today. Um, as you progress, that can become one of the things that kills a channel is focusing too much on the numbers. Especially, like in my case, when I switched games, I lost a good chunk of my audience uh, because going from one game to another, you're a complete unknown. People in the previous directory don't like the new game. Etc. 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 So just seeing your averages tank, you know, from like 500 to 30 people, it's disheartening, and it's yeah, it's not the it's not the thing you should be focusing on, because things happen. It's it's gonna fluctuate, and uh, 
yeah, even even though I shouldn't focus on it now, I think that is the thing that kept me going in the beginning was just seeing, okay, how many people can I get today? How many more followers can I get? How many subs can I get? But it's not the thing I need to focus on anymore. And I'm trying really hard not to. So in the beginning, it was almost like a personal challenge. Yeah, it's like a, you know, achievement unlocked. It's like, get this many people concurrently. Cool. I mean, even Twitch has those uh, path to partner things where it's like, hey, cool. Get this many people chatting at a time. Tick, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's all it's all statistics and measuring and whatnot. And, um, you know, getting Twitch partner was also a big thing that I was pushing for. And, you know, that it's always just it's always just the next thing. OK, I've done this. What's next uh, for me? So th that's how I am with everything. It's like, cool, done that. What's next? What's the next big thing I can chase? Have you ever thought about how you developed that personality? Was it just like from the moment you're on this planet, that's that's kind of what Alias V is about? Or was there something about your past that led you to develop that? I guess nature versus nurture question. Yeah, um, I am driven. I'm a very competitive individual. I always want to be the best at whatever I do. I want to outdo all my peers, which is another thing that is a bad thing for streaming because... You're always going to sit there going, oh, streamer X is doing this. Why am I not getting the same result doing the same thing, right? Um, you, you always compare yourself with others, and that's never a good thing to do for streaming. And I'm still trying to convince myself of that. Uh, you know, it's also one of the areas I struggle in. It's like, oh, but why? You know, it's always like, why? What can I do to get the same result? Um, so, yeah, just being f from very early... I probably should have been a few grades ahead because like I would finish work in primary school an hour before everyone else was finished, right? So the teachers actually had to give me more work. It's like, here, do this. So it's always like a case of what can I do? Give it to me and I will do it. Um, so yeah, very, very driven, very headstrong, uh, very competitive when I was young. Still, still, still am now, but trying to tone it down a little bit because it's, it's not the be all and end all. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that oftentimes we're very critical critical of ourselves for something, but then that's what got us to this place in the first place. So it's like, yeah. you know, it's it's hard to just separate things. It's kind of like when you look at a, sorry if this is tangential, but you look at a company CEO and they're like, oh, you know, I, I really need to pivot and do something different, but that's what got them there. So it's sort of like, it's very hard to just change course and almost like reinvent yourself or disrupt yourself all the time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's it's very much ingrained in me. I'm always going to be competitive. Uh, but I think now I've matured to the point where I can say, okay, I don't really need to compete with this thing or this person or this industry or whatever, because there's no real reason to. Um, I have I have realized that, you know, there's more enjoyment in just doing something for the love of doing it and not trying to get something out of it, if that makes sense. Totally. That totally makes sense. Yeah. For the people that are listening to this that are streamers or aspiring streamers, like what were some of the things that you did at the beginning of your streaming career that proved to be relatively successful, basically on your path to partner? Like what were some of the things you did that if you look back, they actually were quite effective? Uh, so the first few things... Um you know, as I was pushing for partner and whatnot is, you know, being as consistent as you can be. 
you don't have to stream for 12 hours a day. That will kill you eventually, so please don't do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know some people that do, and that's it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, it, it hurts me to think about doing that. I mean, I did one for the, the M20 event, and I was so tired afterwards. I was like, no, how do people do this every day? Now I feel bad asking about M20. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, of course, I'm going to play as much as I can, though, because it's limited time, right? But, um, like, the things to do... Um, when you're starting out streaming, be consistent. Know, let your viewers know that at this time, these days, I will be here, I will be live, and if I'm not, I will let you know. So Twitter, Discord, that type of thing. Keep you know, keep conversations open and tell people what you're doing, etc. Network, that's a big thing. Find people you know that you can raid or host, hang out with them, get to know their community, get to get you know hopefully get them to know yours without doing the hey please go follow my channel don't do that that's rude. Um, I've had a few people that come into my channel and they're like hey I just need a thousand followers please I'm like no dude don't do that that's rude. <laughs> it's like etiquette. Like try to deliver value for other people instead of just yeah. spamming right. Yeah. yeah so yeah be a be a human go and. Go and talk to them and, you know, get to know them, chat about their stream. And then eventually it'll evolve to the point where it's like, hey, cool. So what do you stream? Yeah, I stream this, that, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so it's, it's all just developing relationships and um, finding connections. I mean, that's what I did when I first started. Um, my very first host was from one of my teammates, Petrify. Uh, he dropped like 200 people on me. Now that doesn't seem very much, but when you're only streaming to like 20 people a day and you have 200 all of a sudden who are spamming emotes at you, you freak out. And you're oh, like, that's What's huge. Going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I freaked out. I was just like, I don't know what to do, but thank you. That's very nice. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Cause yeah, obviously I didn't know what rating and hosting was back then either. So got to meet them, uh, through eventually, uh, merchant hosted me as well and developed a very good friendship there. We're still friends to this day, even though I probably annoy the crap out of him, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just seek advice from people who've been doing this longer than you. Uh, you'll you'll find a lot of people who you deem as a bigger streamer are very willing to impart knowledge and you know give you some advice and tell you it's okay if things are going poorly now. It happens, you know. Just keep your chin up, keep going, and it'll be fine. So yeah, that's what I did. Network, be consistent, seek knowledge and advice from people who've been doing this longer than you have. I'm not saying that this is one-size-fits-all advice or anything like that, but is there any kind of thing that worked best for you when you're approaching somebody like Merchant or a streamer that has maybe a, a larger audience for you at that time, than, compared to you at that time? Um, I, I, I'm, I lack tact sometimes, so I can't remember exactly what my first message to him was. But it was probably like just sliding straight into the Twitter DMs going, hi, how are you? Let's be friends, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very subtle in my approaches. so. Uh, okay. So there was no like 2,000, 2000 word email. I guess no one's going to read a 2,000 no, word no, email. No, 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 but no. it was like, it wasn't like you spent three hours working on a message or something like that. No, no. I've, I've also gotten into the habit of just firing off emails now, which may or may not be beneficial. But it's just like, hey, you, I want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to work for everyone, but it's worked for me so far. <laughs> That's cool. I also wanted to ask you, Alias V, about the interactions with the viewers, because I've seen streamers kind of run the gamut. There are some streamers that are like very hand-holding, like they'll just literally talk to everybody that's 
on the stream that's typing something. And obviously that doesn't scale to a certain extent once you reach a certain audience. And then there are streamers that just kind of play their game and talk to themselves and don't interact with the stream at all. So is there something that you would advise potentially other streamers do? Or maybe just something that's worked for you? Um, for myself, I think I'm in the middle between the do my own thing and interact with chat. Um, my community is pretty damn awesome. I love them. Um, uh, you know, they'll say hi to me in the morning, we'll chat, say, you know, how's it going, whatnot. And then it's a discussion around the game after that. Um, so I, I personally really like interaction. I think that's key to growing and to engaging with an audience um, and to get them to come back because that's what you want, right? You want to retain your viewers. So if they, if they feel like they matter and they're important to the stream and the channel, then they'll keep coming back and, you know, just asking them how their day's going is, uh, one pretty good way to do that. Whenever new people come into the channel as well, my community are very welcoming. They, uh, answer any questions because there's a lot of new players obviously who are like hey what's this game or how do i get it where do i play it and they are very good at you know answering questions that i miss for example so it's fostering a chat that speaks to new people how you would speak to them in case you miss type of thing so you know that's then that goes to weeding out the trolls who just sit there spamming copy pasta bullshit yeah um yeah so yeah just uh Weeding out the bad ones and keeping the good ones and building relationships with them. Tell me a little bit about your moderation team, the circumstances in which you found them, because the moderators seem to be very important to what you do and they seem to be part of your quote unquote team. So I want to get a sense for how you, you know, how did you find them and, and what, what kind of value do they bring to the table? Yeah, so all of my, uh, all my moderators were viewers first and foremost, and they just displayed the habits or the uh, actions that a moderator would take. You know, someone's being a troll or a jerk in channel, they'd say like, hey, back off. But they didn't have a little sword to be able to say, you go into the timeout box right now. Uh, so, yeah, you know, just keep an eye out for people like that. Um, and then ask them like, hey, would you like to moderate the channel for me or have the power of the mod? <laughs> Um, yeah, so my moderation team changed a little bit, obviously changing games, uh, people's lives, jobs, school, whatever gets in the way. So not always available to be there. Um, but yeah, I've got a, I've got a really strong moderation team. And I know if I ask them to get something sorted, like sorting out this tournament that we're running, Super Spiffy Tournament 2, um, they're very good at that and wrangling people. They're herding cats, basically, with, uh, <laughs> with these participants, and they do it very, very well. So they're very supportive, and I couldn't run the channel without them. So shout out to all the mods there. You guys make a big difference. So thank you for it. You have a very distinctive voice that's very energetic and very authentic. And I'm just trying to figure out how you develop that, because, you know, as you're growing up, you didn't have to almost like perform in front of a camera to an audience of a few hundred or a few thousand people. When you're studying something in the film industry, you're working on projects. So it strikes me at least that it, this is, this must be something that you had to hone. I, I'm really curious about that. Like how did you develop your voice when it comes to streaming? 
I think it's just practice, honestly. Um, as I mentioned earlier, like when I moved to Canada, when I started streaming, people had a hard time understanding me. So it was just a case of enunciating clearly, getting my my message across as clearly as I could. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I do my my stream voice and my my normal people voice <laughs> is slightly different. Um, I do relax a bit more i'd say uh, when i'm not streaming just because you know then i'm around people who are within earshot of me and they can hear me and understand me sometimes my human says i mumble sometimes which i do <laughs> we all do yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah so um I, I guess i i i do perform in a sense when i'm streaming um just because i want to be able to put on the most entertaining show possible and to me that's the power of the voice, you know, inflections and intonations, all that. I also wanted to ask you about sort of the transition from Gwent into Magic Arena. Tell me about the circumstances of that and how you left one game for another. Yeah, so Gwent was my very first card game love. Um, I played it religiously, even off stream. I was just like, yeah, I love this game. It's rad. Um, then it got to the point where I think in everyone's experience with card games, they get past a certain skill level or experience and then they're like, wait, something's not right. <laughs> and there were a few problems with Gwent, um, you know, around the time I stopped playing it and they... Do you mean in terms of play balance or something else? Yeah, yeah, play balance. So they wanted, they wanted to redo the entire game and that's what their homecoming update was. Um, because there was a massive patch that was released that was supposed to make the game amazing and it didn't perform as intended and a lot of players were very upset and I think I was one of those players. I was getting to a point where I could see what my opponent was playing and I knew that I would be dead because they would have these cards left in hand and they went first and I could do nothing about it. So it, it got to that point where I could recognize what I was playing and that I was screwed, pretty much. And I lost the enjoyment in playing the game because I could always see the outcome. Um, so there was a bit of a lull uh, in terms of like new updates and stuff to the game. You know, they focused purely on homecoming instead. Well, yeah, like their focus was on homecoming. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. But in that time, I got disheartened playing the game i got frustrated i got very salty i wasn't having fun streaming it anymore so i was like okay i need to do something else because otherwise i'm just going to stop streaming altogether um <clears throat> and that's when i found uh someone tweeted someone had mentioned a tweet or said hey this is awesome and they were mentioning mtg arena and then i remember tweeting back saying yeah that actually looks pretty cool and then Michelle reached out to me and was like, hey, I hear you want to play our game. And I was like, yeah, I don't know how, but I'll do it. And that's when I started playing Magic and just got interested and then hooked and then slightly addicted and very addicted <laughs> and tattooed. And yes. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah, the rest is history. So, uh, so yeah, it's, I, I, I really did enjoy Gwent. Like, I'm not going to deny that at all. I just got frustrated. And I didn't, I wasn't there when Homecoming launched. 
And by that time, I was so into magic that I kind of was disinterested in it altogether. I hear it's very good. I actually tried some of it not too long ago, and uh, it seems like a solid game now. But, you know, I just fell in love with magic. Because I've not played Gwent, can you explain the reasoning behind why they went with something like Homecoming? Was it just to have a more massive appeal of some kind? Um... I'm not entirely sure behind reasoning. I mean, I could probably ask one of the devs because I, I built a really good relationship with CD Projekt Red as well and a lot of the p people that work there. Um, you know, so it's still f still friendly and whatnot. Um, but I think they wanted to make the game more complex. So have you ever played Witcher 3? Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's a very, very famous game, very popular. Yeah, you've seen Gwent in there, right? Yeah, not not gone deep into it, but yeah. Yeah, so Gwent in there, that's like the OG Gwent. Very bare-bones basic, I'm going to put dudes on the board and things will happen, right? Mm -hmm. Then the Gwent that I played, it was three rows. Uh, you don't have life, to life totals or um, mana costs or anything like that. It's just whoever has the most power on the board at the end of the game or at the end of the round wins. There's three rounds, you and your opponent basically just go at it um so that's how it was now with the homecoming update there are a lot more abilities um kind of it it feels like they've taken a lot of inspiration from magic in terms of like order abilities and provisions and you know all the other buzzwords that they have in the game now so they've made it a lot more involved and in depth um but yeah i think that's what's that's the reason that they they wanted to overhaul the game was just to give it a bit more substance and kudos to them. So uh, I, I hope it does well, obviously. You had already talked about maybe some of the challenges you had when you initially had to learn magic, but are there things about Gwent that ported over to you being able to grasp magic within a reasonable amount of time? I mean, obviously now you're an expert, but you know, at the time, was there something that carried over for you? <laughs> so when my chat was trying to teach me how to play it, I would ask. Okay, so this card is like that card from Gwent, right? And they're like, yes, yes, classic. yes, yes, it's it's kind of like that, but not really. I'm like, okay, so wait, how does this work? Why are there five, f what, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it would be very much like, okay, so this card's kind of like that, right? I can't think of specific examples now that I've probably asked my chat, but you know, they would say, all right, so it's kind of like Gwent, but not really. Now you have to pay mana costs to be able to play the cards. I think that was the one thing that confused me a lot. Like, wait, why? Why do I need land? Why can't I just play the card on the board? It's like, because that's magic. It's like, okay, that's stupid. <laughs> now it's fine. But uh, initially I was like, this is silly. Why do I have to pay mana costs? Why can't I just play the card? Because they're like, because that would be broken. Anyways. Your frame of reference is <laughs> only with the previous game. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I got the hang of it eventually. And then I actually completely forgot how to play Gwent after a time. Because someone asked me, like, hey, how do you play Gwent? And I was like, wait, uh, no, wait, how do you? <laughs> <laughs> I was just so engrossed in magic. I wanted to go back to your overall streaming career. So was there ever a point where you felt that you had reached some kind of inflection point where you knew you had made it as a streamer? It could be like numbers, it could be feedback, it could be a certain status. Like, do you look at your career in terms of these milestones at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the milestones 
that Twitch set themselves or for the streamers, you know, they're a good, a good way to measure benchmarks and whatnot. Be like, cool, you're an affiliate. All right. Now you're a partner. All right. Now you have this many subs and you've got this many sub slots unlocked. So there's always ways to keep track of your progress. Um, I do think one of the, uh, the major points for me was I think December 2017-ish. Uh, CD Projekt Red reached out to me and said, hey, we'd like to host you after one of our big tournaments. Uh, they have these uh, tournaments called the Challengers, uh, the Challengers and the Opens. And after one of the Challengers, they s- said, we're going to host you. So be live after the event. So I was like, okay, that's slightly stressful. So they dropped like 12,000 people on me. And I think that is probably my biggest stream to date. And I just got so many people in that are still in my channel now and, uh, you know, still very much regulars and supporters of the channel. So that's probably one of the the biggest, that is my biggest stream to date still, uh, you know, where they just dropped so many awesome people on me and they stuck around even after changing games. So, yeah, I, I would say that's probably one of the biggest, biggest moments. How scary was it to transition to another game because despite your own dislike of where the previous game was going you had mentioned that you know like you do care about the numbers and viewer drop off so i mean what was your mental calculus at the time was it an easy choice or what or was it slightly challenging oh no it was tough um i think a lot of streamers struggle when they're no longer enjoying a game but they know that if they change things are going to go poorly for a little while. And that was one of the things that I struggled with. I was like, no, but I'm getting like, you know, 200 viewer average in Gwent. And then my human said to me, but you're not enjoying it anymore. Like, why Why are you doing it if you're not enjoying it? And uh, he, he talks a lot of sense. He's my, uh, I always call him my emotional and my technical and uh, everything support. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> because... Yeah, he's just yeah, he's just great at identifying when I'm unhappy with something and pointing it out and saying you need to change something because if you don't, it's going to go poorly. And uh, he's a smart man, and uh, I'd be pretty screwed without him, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I reached out to other streamers like Merchant, um, people from GRG who I'd. Uh, you know, developed a relationship with and just said, look, this is my current predicament. Can you give me some advice? So I listened to them and they all said, if you're not enjoying it, do something else. And it was tough because, yeah, I, my audience basically dropped to a, like 20% of what it used to be. And my sub numbers dropped off and it was very disheartening, especially when you're trying to get into a new game as well and you're sitting there focusing on how many people are watching. So, yeah, it it was tough. And I'm very, very glad that I persisted and didn't fold, as it were, and go back to the normal thing, which which was Gwent at the time. Um, Because when I did get into Magic and started you know, interacting and networking and getting into the community, like they were very welcoming and things just grew from there. And it just, yeah, it's awesome. It's the best move I've made in streaming was coming to magic for sure. 
It just sounds like there was a perhaps not so short period of anxiety and stress related to that. For sure. It was very stressful, uh, disheartening. You know, you, you don't want to get up in the morning and try and rebuild what you had already. But, you know, that's, that's, that's life. Things go wrong. I mean, it's not just in streaming. It's like, you know, in your personal experience, too. You're going to lose a job. You're going to lose a, a relationship. You're going to lose something. And you just got to get up, rebuild, and do it again. That's awesome. And can you talk a bit about your partnership with Amy or Amazonian? Is it Amazonian or Amazonian? I'm not, I'm not 100% <laughs> so she, sure. She, she shortens it to Amazonian. She's Amy the Amazonian, and then she just shortens it. Uh, yeah, so Amy I met through Magic, and we started chatting, and she made crazy decks. I remember, I think the first thing I spoke to her about was her her horse tribal deck from Kaladesh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's great. Can I have that list? And we started <laughs> chatting. You know, she started asking me about um, teams and stuff because I joined Complexity around the time that we started chatting. So she was interested. So I said, yeah, just reach out. You'd pretty much be a shoe in and she sure was. And yeah, we just became pretty good friends. And then we both were sponsored by TCGplayer.com, who they had some outlines and stuff for us in terms of what they wanted to achieve with what they call the uh, Guild Mages um, program, which we, us two are Guild Mages. So we're like, okay, let's uh, let's see what we can do here. And that's where our podcast was born basically we said to them we want to do this every week <laughs> it hasn't been every week because we both have pretty hectic schedules and lives uh, but yeah just where we talk about magic uh discuss the meta what's new any card reveals etc and just hang out and then throw cards at each other it's great <laughs> i really like the format of your show and you the two of you seem to have really good chemistry i'm just wondering how you guys develop that Oh, that takes practice too. I mean, like you're not going to just jump in to a call with someone and immediately have chemistry. So in the first few shows, it was a little awkward because we'd never spent that much time together. So it's just a case of, you know, understanding you know, nuances of each other's speech and getting into a, a, a groove. I almost said a groove and a rhythm. That's not how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a two-in-one expression. I like it. Yes, yes. We'll just combine words and make new ones. It's fine. Um yeah, so it's just that and getting comfortable with people, which we're, you know, we're, we're both streamers, so we're both pretty good at and quick at doing that. So, yeah. What's the feedback been like on the show that you guys have done? Yeah, pretty good. A lot of people say, I love the show, such great banter, games, whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, there's always those things we can do to improve. And, uh, you know, we've recently just overhauled the graphics on the show. So it looks a little more polished. Um, but yeah, so far, so good. We're going to keep improving. Try and be a bit more regular if my schedule allows for it. But yeah. Right on. And AOSV, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and also talk about how you got into coverage. Because I, I think there is a kind of natural progression of streamer to coverage because you're always talking about certain game states. Therefore, it somewhat translates well. But specifically, I wanted to know how you landed the coverage role for Magic, because to be quite honest with you, I was just following Magic for a long time. And then one day I saw you in front of the camera and I was just like, wow, she's very she's very good. Like, so how did they find you? 
Um, so my very, very first attempt at coverage was at the Mythic Invitational. I hadn't done any commentary before that. I'd done, okay, maybe once. My very first Super Spiffy tournament, I I commentated the finals with my friend, and it wasn't very good. You can find that on YouTube if you're curious. Um, but yeah, they, it was around the time that the invites were going out for the Mythic Invitational. And a few of my friends were like, oh my gosh, check it out, we got this thing. Like, did you get one? And I'm like, no. You know, so I was a little bit heartbroken. I was like, I want to go play, <laughs> you know, serious FOMO. And uh, everyone was like, yeah, I've been invited to this thing. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so initially there was a bit of uh, bit of sadness around the event because I wasn't invited. Not that it's not that I think I deserved it. I was just, you just know, kind of really missing hoping. out because your friends. Yeah, were there, I was, right? uh, yeah, I, was, I felt like I was missing out. I was like, damn it, I want to go. And then um, I was chatting to uh, Michelle because she kept saying, come visit us in Seattle. So I was like, all right, well, I guess if they're, if they're all going to, uh, to the Invitational, let me go. Let me see if I can go visit Seattle and go see the Wizards offices and whatnot. So I messaged Michelle. I was like, hey, can I come through around this time? I'll take some leave and come meet you guys and hang out and whatnot. And she's like, wait. Don't fly anywhere. We need you somewhere else. I was like, for what? It's like, do you want to commentate? I was like, wait, what? Me? <laughs> why? Why me? <laughs> that's so why I you was, were not on the list. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was not on the list. And I was like, why? I have no experience. There are people who are way better at this than me. You know, that's the that's the first thing that comes into your mind. <laughs> when someone's like, hey, do you want to do this? So I, I was very much taken aback and I think I may have had a, a, a little squeal at work when she said, yeah, we want you to commentate this. And I, I was just, yeah, flabbergasted. I couldn't, I, I honestly couldn't believe that they asked me. And I'm very glad that they did because I've now been lucky enough to do something that I really freaking enjoy. Like commentating is so much fun. And again, you know, you know, what I was talking about the next thing. Uh -huh. So the next thing for me is getting as good at this as I possibly can. So it's, hey, Marshall, hey, Paul, teach me your ways, sirs, because you are great at this and I would like to get better. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was completely unexpected. It's not like I said, hey, I'm a commentator. Hire me. No, I wasn't a commentator. My very first event was the Mythic Invitational and... It was probably the best event or the best magic experience I have had thus far. Vegas was cool and all, but Mythic Invitational, that's going to go down as my as my favorite for a very long time. It's going to be hard to beat that. I mean, that was a spectacle in, in every oh, yeah. good sense of the word. Like they tried something big and they, they largely succeeded on that. And that was the biggest stage and probably still is, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, just in terms of like prize money and everything, yes, it is the biggest tournament that Magic has held to date. And I got to be part of that, and I am going to keep that. And I have that forever and ever and ever. And no one can take it away from me. <laughs> <Ha>! <laughs> and I'm really glad that they, I'm really glad that's how the story 
churned out because when you were talking about going to Seattle, I, I thought you were literally going to start storming Wizards headquarters and demand oh, no. <laughs> that you get the role or something. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. That was just a, you know, Michelle has always said to the creators, if you're ever in Seattle, come visit. And uh, one of my friends uh, worked for an airline. So he was like, yeah, we can, we can fly there cheap. So let's, oh. let's go. Let's plan a trip to go and visit Seattle. I was like, okay, let's do it. I still haven't been, so that's on the list of things to do. But yeah. How would you compare and contrast your personal experience of doing Vegas versus the Invitational in Boston? Because just for someone like me who's looking at you from the outside, you seem like you seem to have up up to your game. But is is that how you feel as well? Like, did, was there some adjustments that you made between events? Oh yeah. So um, before um, Mythic Championship three, Paul Chion had been training me uh, so we'd do like a weekly session where we'd go over games and whatnot and he would say okay here uh rather set me up to speak about this thing that just happened instead of you know me just going on because I, I i have that habit of just wanting to keep talking so this is the part where i learned to shut up and let the expert talk <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah uh, Paul is definitely yeah, so, an expert. Yeah, he's one of the Oh, best. yes, he is. He is. He's phenomenal. And I have learned just so much, even just listening to him talk about magic and different plays and stuff that, yeah, it's... I feel like I'm becoming a better player just by listening to people like Paul and Marshall and Cedric and just all these great people that I can look at and draw inspiration from. So, yeah. It's a... Uh, so, that you see, yeah, before uh, Mythic Championship 3, uh, we were doing training and stuff, and uh, we're going to be doing a lot more to try and make me even better at what I'm doing, which I'm very much looking forward to. Oh, that's, I that's great. I sink my teeth in and just, yeah, just pick it up and run with it. <laughs> no, that's great. I, I look forward to seeing more of you in, in front of the camera. Thank you. Alias V, what are your thoughts regarding the future of magic esports i mean what do you think they're doing well and what do you think can be done slightly better or improved i think for a first attempt at esports it's pretty good um there's a few things you know obviously there's criticisms and whatnot and i won't get into all of that now because if you just do a quick google you'll see uh where some of the the problem areas are that the community have identified um, but for me, the one thing I would love to see personally going forward is a live audience. Because let me tell you, at PAX, when uh, we got into the PAX arena on the last day, having all those people there cheering when you're commentating something that's about to happen, that is amazing. Like, that is one of the best feelings ever. And I really hope that Magic will progress to a point where it supports a live audience and it's like real esports baby <laughs> so yeah there's a there's very many places that they can improve and wizards have shown that they listen to feedback and to comments about stuff that's working well stuff that isn't and i think they want to you know de deliver the best product that they can in terms of the esports um side of things and i think they will i i have faith in them I think it's gonna just. I think it's just gonna improve from here. I certainly think so because just by looking at the production of MC3 versus MC1, I know that you know there's things like a live audience being absent, but in terms of the 
logistics of the segments and things, they seem to have really cleaned up a lot of things that I, I mean, they were quite minor, to be honest, in MC1, but I definitely saw some changes for the better. Yeah, and I, I also hope that the uh, tabletop events can look as cool as the arena events. Yeah. That would be awesome. That's definitely uh, <laughs> something that you'll find when you do a Reddit or a Google search. That's for sure. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Reddit knows everything. <laughs> what would you tell the younger Alias V if you could go back in time five years? If you had a time machine, what would you tell her? <laughs> I would go back and be like, hey, guess what? You're going to make a living off of card games one day. <laughs> and then run away. <laughs> and then younger me would be like, the hell? What was that? <laughs> yeah, what the heck is that, right? Why would people yeah. want to watch me play Why? games? Yeah, I don't even like card games. Well, little did I know five years ago that I like card games. Because I really do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess... I would just tell myself not to stop looking at numbers. It'll, you'll be happier for it. <laughs> good advice. Very good, very good advice I'd give myself. But yeah, basically just all the things that I've learned um, in the last two years streaming, I, I'd say I don't know if that would help or not. Like, does it help to go back and say, hey, do this, don't do this? Because I'm, I am where I am because of the things that I have done right or done wrong. And I think that's okay. That's totally okay. But now I'm going to flip the question around. So if you looked at yourself today and where you are now, what is something that you would tell the future you five years into the future so that the alias V five years into the future would not forget something that you're holding on to right now? I would tell myself, stay humble, always have fun. Because as soon as you stop having fun, that's when everything goes to shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the laugh, but but it's so it's so true. I can definitely relate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just for me. It yeah, it's got to be fun. And uh, as soon as I start getting too serious, um, you can you can tell. Like I, I I have this problem when I stream sometimes where I get too serious. I get salty, and hell, I'm just gonna tell myself that. Just keep having fun. If you're not having fun, do something else. Right on. Yeah, so here's to hoping that everything continues to be fun for you. So, Alias V, thank you so much today for taking the time to have this conversation. And all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you very much for having me, James. And thank you for listening, everybody out there.